Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Greetings, greetings, everyone. Uh, Welcome to another episode of the Tej Talks podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Adam Garland. This is a really, really interesting podcast because he essentially left, you know, what was a good job in London, working on some nice projects as an electrician, moved up to the north, I mean, I mean, the north, five hours from London, and just changed up his whole life to commit to to property. Um, He has a portfolio of a million pounds and he's sourced about 20 houses and the cash flow, once all these are done and turned to, is about 4,000-ish pounds a month. Now, I think a lot of us would be pretty happy with that. Um, He's a really nice guy um, and he's very humble and he has done a lot. This was a really interesting podcast if you're interested in buy-to-lets, single-lets, all that vanilla stuff that you know I love as well. We went through some top tips for, well, for every aspect, from finding the deal to refurbishing it to getting it revalued, and we speak about some of his deals. And his first deal was a pretty much a no-money-left-in deal that he secured at auction. So two things that, you know, are not exactly uh, happening all the time when you start new, but he did it. If you are not on the waiting list for my book, what are you doing? Send me a DM, send me a message, and I will get you on it. The book will be released to you about 48 hours before the general public. So if you want it nice and early, if you want to be in with a chance to win some free goodies as well, then you need to be on the waiting list. There's about 320 people, I think, on the waiting list at the moment. And the book will be out very, very shortly. Adam, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thank you, Tej. Pleasure to be here. Now, you and I met, I I don't know how long ago, maybe like a year ago at an event. Was it my event or a 10x event or something like that? I think it was the 10x property conference Yeah, and I'm sure I recognised you. You recognised me from social media. We had a good chat and then I was sort of, I guess, surprised at how dedicated and committed you were. I think because at the time, did you live in london but then you moved up north for five days a week or like something like that right? <laughs> yeah 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 it was a mad time mad time um wow. it was uh yeah that was like january 2019 i, I moved so um wow. yes I, I sort of started back in property and I, I guess the beginning of the year before 2018 and uh i just thought yeah let's let's quit my job and if i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it properly i'm gonna move to the area um immerse myself in the locals and uh <laughs> And try and get the, try and get this thing off the ground. Amazing. So before we get into that, then what was Adam doing before property? Um, so I was I was living in London with my fiance and a couple of friends, um, living my best life. You know, uh, it was <laughs> it was great fun. Uh, and, and my job was a commercial electrician, so I was I was working in buildings like the Gherkin, the Shard, and and the Lloyd's building, which is wow, just the Shard, eh? Just the Shard. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really good fun. I, like the, the views and stuff we used to get from some of these buildings were insane. Uh, mm. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I was on site every day. But there was, I, I guess there's just a couple of issues with it, um, which always sort of bugged me. Um, one was career progression. Because um, I kind of, in terms of like the practical side of it, I, I'd sort of done all that by, I guess, I don't know, like 24 or something. And then it started to get a bit repetitive. So then I was looking to go into sort of electrical engineering but I don't really want to work in an office, so it didn't, I didn't want to do that either. <laughs> um, and then the other thing was, I was, it was, I was self-employed, so I was sort of exchanging time for money. That's sort of the classic rich dad, poor dad thing. But basically back then it was more a case of, I don't work, I don't get paid, which bugged me as well. <laughs> so mm. yeah, I wasn't looking for anything different, but my ears were open, let's just say. Mm, okay. And so what, you know, what was that moment, that book, that thing that made you say, huh, I should invest in property? Um, so Holly and I were looking to buy a house, um, and we were looking around London, maybe, you know, we were thinking maybe shared ownership or help to buy a type of situation, but the more we looked into it, the more we felt it didn't really stack up for us. Um, I know it's helped a lot of people get on the ladder and it's, it's amazing, but we didn't, we felt like we were still renting. So mm. we thought maybe if we bought a buy to let in, in Kent or somewhere like that, that's where I grew up. Um, 
and then just rented that out and, you know, get, get the, cap, the holy grail of cattle gains. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then the more I, I guess the more I researched property and stuff like that, I got sucked into those, those algorithms, those wormholes on Facebook. And, uh, yeah, next thing I knew I was like sat in a free property event. <laughs> and how useful was the free property event? It was, so I think it really opened my eyes to actually, cause I hadn't really done research into, different strategies all i all i'd done was sort of maybe where where shall i buy but actually i didn't really know about the whole sort of you know refinancing thing and pulling your money back out so it's it it allowed me to realize that the pot we had we had about 40 grand at that point that was our deposit and uh i realized if i sort of like bought some houses up north or something like that i could buy then i left like five in each one i could get like eight houses and if they all cash flowed like 250 grand that was like two thousand pounds a month so that would cover our London rent and stuff like that. So I thought, yeah, that's pretty cool. Maybe I'll do that instead. Hmm. And then did you get any paid education or read any books or do anything else to then kind of take what you learnt there into something more digestible? Yeah, so I, I went through endless podcasts uh, and audiobooks and, and read, read stuff. As soon as I sort of learnt a bit more about it, I was like, oh, there's loads of stuff here. Um, and then I did do some like paid education as well, which I think for me, it's because I, because I decided I wanted to go full time. Um, I felt like it was sort of worthwhile. And at that point, I think I was still quite naive. I didn't really know. I didn't really know any different. Um, I think had I done it again, I probably would have done it a slightly different route. Talk, talk to me about that then. Cause a lot of people are at a place where they're like, oh, do I spend, you know, arguably thousands of pounds on you know mentorship training whatever it is which you know has mixed reviews has mixed feelings in the market you know there's a lot of negativity around it or do they go in themselves and potentially lose thousands of pounds or do they spend it and then actually they don't get anything from it it's quite a sticky kind of place to be in you've done education and been successful with it but you'd do something different what would you do different so I, I, I think um, it, it is an absolute minefield out there. Uh, I think I was really lucky with the one that I stumbled across. And that was just good luck. Not, I know it was no research beforehand, but it did work out well for me. Um, I, I think personally, how I would probably, do, I think <laughs> your Nando's, Nando's scheme is quite a good one. Um, <laughs> I like that. Uh, what, I would, what I would say is, or sort of, I guess my views on it, um is that if you want to do this full time and, and it's not something that you you just want a house to buy, give you a little bit of income you you should do some sort of learning whether that's um paid education or what i would probably suggest now is getting like a mentor or a coach or something like that that works one-on-one with you someone that you know has done it um and can actually help you achieve what you want to do that's probably the route i would say to go down because there's so many regulations and stuff now, this isn't really an amateur amateur field now. You you do have to know what you're doing. Mm. I think what you said is important. Someone who you know is doing it or has done it because a lot of trainers are trainers. They're not property investors anymore, if they ever were, you know, whatever you want to call it. Whereas some trainers are doing it right now, there and then. You can go on, online and see it. You can go to their sites and visit it. You kind of you know they're doing it and their brand is showing it. But then there's a lot who their brand just is marketing. So, and that's a really good point you made there and a distinction that we should make as customers or potential customers to kind of, you know, do something different there. So you did this education. Was it like, you know, before you did it, did you decide on your strategy or like how did you know what you wanted to do? Um, so for, I always work backwards from what I want and I wanted... I went to passive income. So Holly's basically doing, a, she's doing a PhD and she has been in, uh, she's been in university for about hundred years now, I think. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so hopefully one day she's going to finish that. And, uh, and our goal is to go traveling, but I didn't want to sort of build up a, a, maybe sort of spend all of our savings traveling and then come back poor. I, I thought this would be much cooler if we can get paid while we're out there. Um, and another important thing was for me, it had to be hassle free because I didn't want to be in another country and get told, you know, there are problems with properties and stuff like that. So I decided like buy to lets was actually by far the most passive way of doing it. And that's, that's the route I went down really. Hmm. Okay. And, you know, was it an easy decision to make because you see a HMO and you think, well, a thousand quid a month. I mean, I could do a couple of those or was it quite 
straight cut for you? Uh, it's that sort of classic shiny penny, isn't it? <laughs> um, I, I think it was quite easy for me because I knew the first couple I definitely wanted to be buy-to-lets because I'd never, I'd never bought a house or anything. So I was quite happy with that. And, uh, and after doing the first few, they were obviously they had the challenges, but you know, when you look back on it, it was, it was really easy. Um, so just keep doing that, I suppose. And, um, and yeah, I, I, I thought I, I like focusing on something and I didn't really want to deviate from that. So I thought just do this well, um, do one thing well and, and yeah, see where it leads. And so you came out of this wanting to do buy to lets and I'm, I'm assuming buy refurbish refinance. Yep. And you lived in London. You were from Kent. Now, BRRs, do they work in London? Yeah, to an extent, you know, with certain things, with conversions, with certain sizes. You know, it does work, but it doesn't work like it works in Yorkshire, for example. <laughs> um, you know, when it came to areas, how did you choose where to invest? Because, you know, if you live in London, I mean, really, the whole, the rest of England is kind of your oyster. How did you know where to go? <laughs> that's Yeah, so true. That's that's what I felt as well. I was like, I'm going to have to drive somewhere. So <laughs> I, I actually could, I could drive anywhere really. <laughs> um, I, I think I, it was, I looked at lots of different areas. I looked at South Wales like you and, and sort of Liverpool, Manchester, Leeds and stuff like that. But when I was, um, I guess when I was looking at the sort of classic ones like Liverpool and Manchester and Leeds, uh, they were, they were, I thought if I just went half an hour or an hour higher, then the prices got so much cheaper. And uh, I thought it was, it was worth just that little extra trip. Um, but it was a case of, I looked at loads of different areas, loads of areas work, because obviously there's, there are investors everywhere. Um, and it got to the point where I was just like, I need to get going now. And uh, Middlesbrough works, let's just go for it. Hmm. And you said it works. What does that mean for you? Like what, in your opinion, as a, as a buy-to-let BRR investor, what makes an area work in general? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, for, yeah, for like BRR, it's crucial that there's enough stock on the market where you can actually buy stuff that's, you know, that's been around for a while and you can get stuff under market value that needs work. Um, and also, I guess it's it's a, a point because I'm after cash flow. It's also, you know, you don't want the property to be so expensive that it doesn't really cash flow very well. Um, so that was that was the main thing, really, that the, the cash flow on each property was was so good because, you know, when we were refinancing, they were still sort of comfortably under 100 grand. But the rents were sort of like 550 a lot of the time. So, yeah, we cash flow, you know, 400 quid on some of them. And that's, you know, today, actually, I was just finishing off a bit of my book and I looked at some of the sums and my mortgage payments and I just said, hold on a minute, I'm making 400 a month, not 380 on this bike to let. <laughs> and I just thought, hold on a minute, you know, we go by 250, right? But yeah. in reality, especially if you're self-managing, it can be a lot higher. Now, you said there about the cash flow, obviously, and the, the stock on the market. That's really important. You know, you can go on right move and you look at, I don't know, look at Heathrow, that area where I used to live. There is literally nothing on there that's a wreck. You look at, you know, Yorkshire, you look at Liverpool, you look at Scotland, you, you really start to see some shitholes, basically. Um, <laughs> and that's really important. But, you know... There's a reason for that in terms of the economy and fundamentals. Do you, because obviously cash flow is the main thing here, do you look at, you know, oh, does Amazon have a warehouse down the road? Does it have a bus stop outside? How, how do you look at the fundamentals if you look at them? Yeah, I do think that's important as well. So that I, I felt like um, if you look at the, I, I've got, I quite like the 18 year property cycle. Um, and I, I was, you know, when you look at other places, how they've gone up, Teesside as a whole hasn't really recovered from 2008. So there's so much room to grow um, in that area. And there was also a lot of investment due to come in. So there was like direct lines to London. Um, it's going to be sort of the capital for business, uh, sorry, um, like technology and stuff like that, because internet's really fast there as well. Um, weirdly, I don't know why, but it just is. <laughs> um, so there's, you know, there's a lot of businesses going there because it's so cheap um, and it is still, it's still underpriced really so yeah that that was that was a leading factor so i felt like there was a lot of room for it to grow and maybe in the second half of the cycle it, it could it could go up potentially mm. i think though for like buy to lets right as much as we do look at fundamentals like that you know if we were hmo investors we'd have a much bigger list i think in mm. terms of 
amenities and this that and the other but with buy to lets i don't know i kind of and tell me if you agree or disagree that unless it's in the you know total middle of a hill village you know it's like th- genuinely speaking even that to be honest buy to lets will always rent out do you kind of feel the same thing yeah i do definitely especially when you do them to a nice standard and that was one thing that i i definitely identified about middlesbrough is when you look at the market and things to rent it's all awful like it's all magnolia still uh you know really cheap horrible kitchens and i i just felt like if we if we put a good a good product there it will always rent um and uh, that was really important to me as well so that's that's another that's a really good tip there because actually if you come into it's like any business you come into you know an old sort of outdated not modern not disruptive industry you bring something as as tiny as as kind of as small as a new kitchen or painting it white or gray instead of magnolia you're a disruptor you're innovative and it will rent for above market you know which mm. i'm sure we both have experience of and to us we haven't done anything special we just made it like well you know nice like just decent um that's another trick actually for people you know wanting to do buy to let's look for areas that just have poor stock because if you're the golden goose in that in that collection then you know you're making more money and you haven't done anything extra so you know you got this education you found your area you know it's going to be single let brrs um your first deal just tell me about it <laughs> okay um so that was, it was yeah i guess just over two years ago now um yeah holly and i were in our in, in our investment area in uh <laughs> up in up in borough and we were looking at um an auction property so this one uh i knew had had not sold at the previous auction and it was on for a guide of thirty five thousand, um which yeah which at that price i knew worked um so i was hoping to get sort of a, a pre slash post auction sort of offer accepted um so yeah we it was sort of towards the end of the day we met up with the uh, auctioneer at the property and there was uh there's a couple of other dudes there with like proper nice suits on sunglasses <laughs> open top merc and i was like oh no <laughs> what are they doing here <laughs> they're not supposed to be here they should be buying you know penthouses in manchester or something but <laughs> um we were chatting with the chatting with the agent all, all of us and uh, and he said look they, they just want to sell it now they'll take 33 on this one um, <laughs> Love it. Yeah, so I was like, super, that'll do, I'll, I'll do that. But then um, <laughs> we need to get the legal pack checked. And it, it was, yeah, so it was sort of end of the day, last last viewing. So went home, went online, but it wasn't it wasn't loaded up there. So so next day we thought we'd just go straight to the office and um, and try and find out what's going on. Can we get it there? Uh, rocked up and only sunglasses there, dude is there, standing outside, <laughs> wearing his car. He goes, all right, mate. I was like, oh, hi. He's like, you, uh, you here to... Bit on Mitford. I was like, well, yeah, I was thinking about it. Yeah, and he's like, cool, I've just done that. And sort of zoomed off in his Mercedes. Uh, why are you here? Go off, into the, off into the sunset with your Yeah, property. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, damn it. Well, he knows it's 33, but he also knew that I was interested. So maybe he went 34. So if I go 35, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll beat him to it. So I knew it worked at 35. So I was like, screw it. I'm just going to go in there and, and offer that. But uh, so I went in there, sort of put the offer down, and, but still needed to get the legal pack checked. And they said they couldn't give it to us um online so i said look just print it off and i'll scan it on my phone and i'll find a solicitor to check it um so that's what i did and uh managed to yeah manage that's called like 20 30 solicitors or something i was like, i need you to check this today it's gonna go either to me or this other guy can you do it and uh finally someone said yes and they're still my solicitor to today so. <laughs> and how much do they charge that's... you to review that legal pack remember uh oof, about 200 pounds i think I say that's that's fair. It's really weird the auction house couldn't do it digitally. I mean, what the hell? Like, it's I know, like fax I know. machines. Know, exactly. So then, yeah. you you got it checked. Yeah, so got it checked. It was all fine. Um, so cracked crack, cracked on ahead with it. This one we had Angel Finance ready to go on that. So one. Hold on, you beat Mr. Mercedes. I beat Mr. Mercedes. Yeah, he. Uh, <laughs> I, th- I think he, he probably had bigger fish to fry, so just left that one <laughs> and then left that. But yeah, I managed to beat Mr. Mercedes and. Um, yeah, I got that one at 35, which is cool. And um, yeah, it turned out to be a good deal. We we spent 20 on it, uh, including like fees and stuff like that. And it and the, the refi, revalued for 75,000. So like 56,000 pound mortgage all in for 50, 55, 56. So yeah, that was, that was such a cool deal for our first one. But just to caveat that, 
we'd offered on probably 70 houses by that point. Um, and we've been up to the area countless times. Um, yeah, so it, it did take a long time to find that one. Say but that, it was a good one. How many viewings again? <laughs> Say it so people really hear it. So, so I don't even know how many viewings. It was 70 offers we made. Oh, wow. Um, okay, we don't, so... Yeah, we don't... So probably like 100, maybe 100 viewings. 70 offers, people. You know, <laughs> when people do 10 viewings and they're like, oh, I can't get a house yet. Because you've done 10 viewings, mate. And they're doing 100 viewings. And I, I had the same experience as Adam. I've done maybe like 50 offers before I got my first, like my second house. You know, I've, mm. I've done hundreds of viewings just like Adam has before I got... It, <sighs> It's easy to listen to Adam say it took, you know, 70 offers, but then until you're actually there, you're driving up and down, you're getting rejected, agents saying, oh, you're having, you're taking a piss, mate, you know, you're wasting money, Airbnbs, food, you're cold, you've got wet socks on viewings. Only then will that 70 really kind of be ingrained. But I thank you for sharing that, Adam, because it's important, right? It's important for people to know that. Um, how did you fund I'm, I'm, this first deal then? Uh, so I funded this with... Uh, angel finance um and that was mm. in terms of parents that one the best um, bank ever mate bank of mom best and bank. the best bank <laughs> it's the, the go-to um <laughs> so I, I often hear well people often ask like why did, why did you use angel finance first and all or maybe i can't do it from the first one um i'm going to do the first one to get some credibility which totally makes sense to me however i'll my my sort of reverse on that is as i said we had that 40 grand that we could have spent on this one but if this one didn't refinance up to the level we wanted, um, we had that cash reserve to then pay back the investors. And we also, so after we had that one accepted, literally like three days later, we had another one accepted. So it was suddenly like out of nothing, we had two on the go at the same time. Um, we managed to raise money from a different family member for that one as well. So and I was really like, okay, hold this money back because now we've got two. If these don't hit our refinance value, we can still pay them back and hopefully go again. Um, so that's why I did it with that. But then we exhausted family. So then it was uh, <laughs> new new finance after that. <laughs> I think it's really important that yes, you you know the first one is more difficult to get angel investors on, especially if they're not family. But if it's your parents, or your family, they've known you for X many years, then you know. But it's something that you can consider more than a random person. And yeah, I agree with you. It's nice to do the first one yourself if possible to have that kind of um sounding board so what a first deal you pulled out basically all of your money yeah yeah I, I, yeah surprisingly but i went but actually it wasn't as good as we thought because we were so quick in buying it and this is a classic auction mistake in a way um it actually was it was non-standard construction and we didn't realize so but the solicitor could this up uh no, I don't think so. Well, it was it was wimpy, no fine. So it's a concrete construction. It is actually mortgageable, fortunately, and there's plenty of mortgage lenders that do it. But it wasn't what we thought it was. So um, yeah, just just to you know, if you are going to buy from auctions, it is best to get a survey, um, no, or at least know what you're buying. <laughs> buyers beware. That's I find it very strange. The solicitor didn't pick up on that because that is like a basic ass point. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, they may well have, but we were green as grass then, so <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing. We Winky were no fines. So. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have one of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've, we've all been there, man. Like it's, but fortunately, <laughs> it wasn't you know some other type of you know build which wasn't mortgageable. But yeah, yeah, lesson learned, right? And hey, at least it got mortgaged and like it was all good and. Did the valuation come in as you thought or did you think it would be higher or lower? It actually came bang on, which I think that was the moment we thought, wow, this this is actually real. I know that you sort of, they talk about it in, you know, on podcasts and, and like courses and stuff like that. But then, yeah, it happened. And I was like, well, we got all of our money back out. That's insane. <laughs> we got abs. When it happens, and, uh... it's like, again, it's one of those things you don't really, it, it means nothing to you until it happens, you look at your bank account and you're like, so I put all of that in and I got all of it out and now I've got an asset with 25% equity and, and rent for life. <laughs> okay, this is a pretty freaking cool strategy. Um, <laughs> and how long did it take to go from, you know, getting the keys to then um, finishing the refurb? 
lessons learned on this one again it was we had problems with builders um and coming from essentially a trade background you'd think that i would i'd know better <laughs> but but it is you know it's not as much of an advantage you think as you think um there's a lot to learn with with refurbs and uh yeah we would we just went i guess on it enough um i'd keep going up and there was no one there and, and they'd be like oh yeah we were there yesterday and you know we're waiting for this and that and i'd just be like oh okay and uh and then a later sort of like when i've done a few more i was like that was totally unacceptable what happened to us there and uh yeah it probably took it took probably five months for that refurb um and it was it was yeah like a sort of 20 20 gram refurb but even so it shouldn't take that long and um yeah, but it was fine. And it, it was a good refurb, to be fair. It, it, they did a good job. Um, we've not had any problems with it since. And uh, I, I don't have any complaints from that point of view. But yeah, it took ages. <laughs> and then how long did the refinance take? Like a month, month and a half? Uh, yeah, yeah, probably two months. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I reckon two months. My, my general experience seems to be that there's always something that extra that holds it up. And uh, yeah, from start from the day that you like, approach the broker to get the money, generally for me, has been about two months. Yeah, I would say so, especially now with Corona and just excuses and blah, oh, yeah, blah, blah, things not happening and lenders just being slow and yeah. Okay, so I mean, wow, what a first deal. And then, you know, just as you did that, you said you had a second deal. Tell me about that. Was that auction again? That was a corporate sale. Um, it was, God, I haven't got the numbers in front of me on that one. I think we bought it for like 46 and a random number of <laughs> uh 46723 or something like that and uh <laughs> and we spent 20 on it i think or maybe 16 or something like that and we got that valued so i was hoping for 90 we got 82 so that one wasn't quite as good we left a bit more in that one but that was our worst deal by miles um we've done some good ones since then <laughs> and what just for people who don't know what is a corporate sale uh corporate sale is uh, generally it's a repossession so you, you can identify them with um when you go in, you'll see sort of like blue tape on the taps and the boiler and uh, it'll say like services are drained, do not use and stuff like that. So it ge- generally that's a repossession um, and it, it means that it's it's a bank dealing with it. So they have quite strict criteria. Normally it'll be they won't they won't even look at anything within 10 percent. Um, oh, sorry, outside 10 percent of the actual asking price. So I for those what I generally do um, and this is. I've bought a few of these now and the most, the best luck I've had is when I've just done it by email and I've sent proof of funds and said, uh, and solicitors details and, and basically assumed the offers accepted and just said, look, this is, thank you for the viewing. This is my offer. Here's my proof of funds. Here's my solicitors details. Um, here's my ID and, uh, and proof of address. Um, I've informed my solicitor and they're aware of the transaction. Um, <laughs> you know, please forward this email on to, whoever's dealing with this property or something like that. And uh, I think it, I don't know, it seems to work. I like uh, that. It seems to get results. <laughs> I like that. I think, it, well, it shows your readiness and your procedable, doesn't it? You're kind of saying, look, mm. I'm waiting on you, mate. I've got the money. Let's, let's get this shit done. I found <laughs> that sometimes with corporate sales, well, when they're in auction, sometimes they'll put in a 14 day completion, just something people should note. Um, I've bought one before on a 14 day completion, but if you didn't, read the pack and think it's a 28 day there's some problems but have you also found that corporate these banks and stuff they just overvalue the property or do you have you found in your area maybe they're more accurate no 100% touch they definitely i definitely <laughs> value them yeah they always they seem to well you can sort of i know where they do it because they obviously whatever the price they get is um whatever the, whatever the shortfall is they're going to have to go after the well, the, the insurance company will back that for them, but then the insurance company will then go after the, the 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 former vendor. So they've got to be seen to be acting fairly, which is the right thing to do. Obviously, no, you don't want anyone to get repossessed, which is an awful enough experience as it is, and then you know then get sh- chased for another twenty thousand pounds or or whatever. You know, it could be it could be all sorts of amounts. So um, yeah, they normally put it on high, but they generally re- reduce it. And and what I find is it's always worth offering straight away on these because they do log everything a bit different to a lot of other properties that are just generally in the market sometimes you know i'm sure everyone's had it where the agents have said yeah yeah no no problem and then that offer's been quickly swept under the carpet um but with these they do have to put them forward and 
they do get logged. So one another one actually happened to me is is one where we we offered on it literally like three months earlier, and kind of forgot about it. And then I got a call, yeah, sort of like three months down the line, saying, "Does your offer still stand?" Um, so when I said no, obviously it's it's less now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, circumstances have changed, and uh, but they still went for it. So wow. yeah, always put these offers in. And you know that would this was I guess you know quite a while ago how has your portfolio and business grown since these first two deals um so we've continued to to buy buy to let once we've refurbed all all of the current stock and a couple that we're just finishing illegals now the portfolio will be a million pounds nice um which is cool considering pretty much all of the units are below a hundred thousand um <laughs> so yeah no i'm i'm it's it's i'm quite pleased with that it's a I guess it's a milestone, but it's uh, an irrelevant number, really, because it's all about equity and, and cash flow at the end of the day. So, and oh, you know, obviously those first two deals were family funded. How, you know, in order to purchase one to have a million pound portfolio, you need a little bit of cash, at least for the deposits. <laughs> um, how have you then funded purchases since then? Um, so all of the so yeah, like I said before, all of well, everything we bought has been funded with, I guess, other other forms of finance other than our own so it's been angel investor finance um bridging finance or mortgage lending as well but predominantly a mixture really of angel and bridging that's how we've bought most of them and um, when it comes to angel investors uh -huh. you know how how do they find you so i started i started social media really um first of all i'd just tell everyone what i was doing uh and that, and maybe try and get some friends to to jump on board um but in terms, but yeah, that wasn't really, I guess, because I was relatively young, it, it, there wasn't really enough money sloshing around in my, my close network of friends. So yeah, I started social media and, uh, and I posted sort of, I guess, three, four times a week, religiously for about nine months, uh, without ever asking for any money or anything like that, just trying to give as much value as possible. Um, and that, I guess that got a, a bit of traction. I got a couple of podcast interviews from it as well. And uh nine months down the line when i had i guess a few followers i just put a post out saying that i need i've got an offer accepted i'm after this much money um i'm happy to do sort of similar to you actually an earn and learn type type scenario if you're looking to get into property maybe this could be a good place to start and uh and it worked so after that i was like right this is the way forward and uh kept on with social media both facebook and instagram um and and yeah it's it's been a brilliant place to network and that's where I've raised all of my money since then. And I guess, yeah, sorry, we have to jump in. I was going to say, you know, case study right there. People say social media doesn't work or oh, I can't even bother doing it or it's not a serious part of my business. But at the same time, they'll then say, oh, but I need investment money. And, <laughs> you know, you, you just summarize it there. How much in total do you think you've got from angel investors? Uh half a million maybe that we've recycled continuously um and to be honest like with yeah with with the purchase prices that we work with that's quite a good like working capital that we can just keep refinancing and keep using um i think the key the key to it for me was just trying to give as much as possible uh and try and actually i don't know give value uh, I hope people get value from my page, but, <laughs> but um, yeah, just try not to ask and sort of constantly ask for stuff because I think if you if you try and help people, then people will try and help you, I suppose, in the long run. Mm. I mean, a half a million. Now, you know, some people might listen and say, oh, I invest around London and that's only one property. So add a zero to it. That's literally all it, add a zero to it. <laughs> you know, Adam doesn't necessarily need 5 million, although, you know, I'm sure he'll accept it. Um, you know, <laughs> hey, if anyone wants to give it to me, I'll take well, it. Well, yeah, there we go. <laughs> but he doesn't need it because that's the area that, you know, he operates in. And the exactly. same with anyone else in that area. But if you're in London, then of course you need 5 million or something like that. So don't sort of, um, don't be put off necessarily by zeros, add a zero to it, take away a zero from it. Like, that's pretty awesome to have raised half a million pounds, which if you have a portfolio of a million in buy to lets, quick maths, 10 times 250 a month and probably a bit more, it's probably enough for people to just stop working and 
you know, potentially get into property full time, do something different, or you know, if you want to be Tim Ferriss and wear baggy pants and, and just retire early, you can you could do that. Um, and that's from social media. Like, it's it's amazing, isn't yeah. it, when you think about it? It is. It is. And sometimes when I do actually think about it, I think, what is going on? Why <laughs> Why are people giving me money? Who don't even know me? What is What is my life now? <laughs> you know, How has this happened? It is. And like you you just don't i don't know you just don't think about it it doesn't feel real maybe because it's digital money it's not like cash on yeah. the desk um <laughs> and people don't accept cash because you know money laundering but like <laughs> it, it, and and actually you said you posted three or four times a week for nine months right yeah that is so important for people to hear because how many people want to do that how many people will do that but if it gets you half a million, if it gets you a million, then, you know, who's complaining, right? But, you know, for people listening, it does take time. Case in point, nine months it took Adam. Hey, maybe if he posted five or six days a week, maybe it would have taken a month or two less, maybe. Mm. But it takes that time to really build things up. And Adam, would you say, you know, with, I guess, also things like, I don't know, the way you source your properties, has it taken time to build relationships with agents, auctioneers, things like that? Or did it come quicker? No, no, 100%. It, it took a long time. And I think that's what you were sort of saying there about putting time in for, for social media. There's two sides of being a property investor, really. It's finding deals and finding money. So it's all very well constantly like looking for the next house and stuff like that. But really, you should be splitting the time up. And if you don't factor in sort of putting the groundwork in to find money, then you're going to find up find yourself with deals and, and not being able to buy them. So I think you've just got to treat it as work, <laughs> treat yeah. it as part of the business. Um, but yeah, it did take a long time. Like I said, we did, you know, we did 70 offers, which probably harmed more relationships than uh, <laughs> group, some of them. But um, yeah, it was, you know, you just got to keep turning up. And if you keep pestering people, it, it works. And and actually, so I, I'm also, I also do sourcing. So that's the other side of it. We've, we've sourced, I guess around 20 houses since I started. Um, and I, I'm not saying that to brag. I, I'm just saying that that's, that's sort of, that's come from just constant, um, constantly turning up, I suppose, and, and trying to find more houses. But, but basically, um, what I was going to say, well, the reason I said that is because the, the clients who message me constantly and ring me every week and say, when's the next deal coming? When's the next deal coming? They're the ones that get the houses. Um, and I don't really see any difference between that and estate agents. Um, the, you know, someone who, who messages me and says, can I go on a mailing list? That's absolutely brilliant. Like happy days. However, very few of my properties get to that point. Um, because I, I work with, you know, a close network of people really. And why did you decide to source? Because like, yeah, it, you know, if we have investors on our side and if we're getting loads of deals, give or take, we should be able to buy them all. That's what I think anyway. Um, and it's, it's fun. It's, you know, buy them all. Let's do it. But sourcing is also a good source of income. But what made you say, you know what, actually, let me source some of these on instead of buying them all myself. So um, like we touched on at the beginning of the of the podcast, I, I moved up to Middlesbrough um, and I just quit my job. So that was, as I said, I was self-employed. That was, you know, income over straight away. So I thought I needed really a sort of, I guess, a, a cash strategy as well as a, an income strategy, because at that point we'd only bought two mm -hmm. and uh, and they weren't, they weren't even rented out at that point, I don't think. <laughs> I think they were about to be, but I don't, I'm not even sure if the tenant was in at that point. So I don't think we were even earning from that. So I felt like I needed an, a secondary income and, you know, not all of our deals are as good as that first one, that money in, money out one, uh, where we get where everything out. Sometimes we are leaving a bit of cash in deals and you could flip to get that money out um, or you could go to another, other avenues. And the reason I went down sourcing is because from the agent's point of view, a lot of the time I'm still buying these properties um, mm. if they're with us agents, if they're off market, it's different, but I'll, I will offer for myself first. And if I then either don't have the money available or I decide I, I don't know, I've got too much on or something like that, then I'll, then I'll source it. But often that's just changed by my solicitor. So I'll still pick up the keys. So from their point of view, I've bought, you know, th over 30 houses in the last couple of years. Um, 
which only helps me get get more and more so yeah in t- instead of flipping i thought i'd do sourcing basically <laughs> hmm. that's interesting and you know what i think do you think it's easier to source than it is to flip um probably not but the, the key <laughs> is it's it would be in a different area so there's i think generally when you're flipping houses you're not going to be or the chances are they're not going to be in the same area as the investment properties probably will be um generally so this meant that i could just solely focus on you know the, the exact areas that i wanted to buy in and it it I don't know. It, the other reason I did it is also for angel investors as well, which has happened. Um, so it's, you know, meeting with people with money who want to buy houses. There's also the p- potential that they could become angel investors for me as well. So it's all about sort of growing a network, I guess, um, mm. as well. <laughs> when you're sourcing, are you sourcing and project managing, doing the full thing or just sourcing the deal? No, do, do the whole thing. So that was one of the advantages of moving up there is I, I made some you know amazing connections. I've got project managers, letting agents, um, who I'm happy to share details of if people if people invest in the northeast and they want to message me. Um, yeah, I, so yeah, it's, it's really a one stop shop. You know, we'll we'll handle the whole thing and we'll even attend the refinance survey if uh, if the investor wants as well. Wow. Now, dealing with builders, project managing is just. Oh dear, I have to take a deep <laughs> breath before I, before I go into this. Um, it's tricky. I heard your uh, your point recently about uh, your problems with your builders, which sounds pretty awful. So I know you've experienced the worst of it. Yeah, as everyone keeps reminding me and laughing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's laugh or cry, isn't it? So I prefer we were all laughing than them. Um, yeah, well, you're it. handling it well. Um, yeah, there's, there's, you know. yeah, there's no other way to handle it, really. I'm sure I'll break down at some point. But... Um, <laughs> I said not. <laughs> like... You know, sourcing and then mainly the project management bit, I think is quite hard work, like the sort, the, the kind of project management bit, especially when an investor might be new. And if you say to me, oh, Ted, you know, um, we're going to have to rewire the house, not a part thing because of blah, blah, blah. I'll say, yeah, yeah, cool, standard, happens all the time. A new person might say, oh, my God, what, what do you mean? Like, what's going on? What's happening? Like, how do you manage investors and their emotions you know, and also builders and, and their emotions and stupidity sometimes? Um, yeah, good question. <laughs> so I I started out project managing it by trying to do it all myself. And that was, um, it was, I was just running myself into the ground and I, I was actually just not enjoying it and not being able to find more deals. So that was a case of bringing a project manager on who I knew I could trust who had good experience and also was a property investor. So they, they understood the whole sort of buy and refinance model. Uh, they knew what level to do a refurb at. Um, and that helped the builder side of things because then I literally have nothing to do with the project after that point. They will handle everything, uh, apart from the fact I'm in the WhatsApp group and I sort of keep tabs on it. Um, in terms of working with investors, uh, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a bit picky. <laughs> I know that my deals are quite good. Uh, so I don't have to, I, I, because I would buy them myself. I can work with people that I'm I, that I sort of that I know are experienced investors and understand property, and understand that it's not always, you know, you, you see the done up num, done up figure and you see the refurb and you see the purchase price and that is it. There's there's often things that go wrong and there's contingencies. But having said that, I like to think we're pretty close and uh, we've we, I think we've always come under budget at the moment um on the refurb so yeah touch wood um it's been okay so far <laughs> i mean coming under budget i mean is this reality someone pinched me like, this is, this, you know i think that that's coming on budget and on time is is a sign of a good pm and builders but coming under is that's some that's some very good work um and are you finding <laughs> that these properties you're doing which are you know, done to a good standard and you know a modern standard are you getting above market rent for them yeah um we are actually so the one <laughs> the letting agent that so the, let, the letting agent that we use is, is a, a, a good friend of mine that i met through uh property but same with the same with the project manager so we all work together we're still constantly in contact with each other and some of the times i've said like i think we can get this rent he'll say oh are you sure and i was like 100 like there's nothing like this out there and uh, and we get it you know we get it every time it's 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 really cool we are getting above market rents um I normally say to the investor, you know, 
it could be this. That's what you should base your numbers on. But I think we can aim for this. And uh, and yeah, it's because, like I said at the beginning, there's there's not many good properties out there. Even now, I know when you're in that property investing world, you feel like oh, everyone's doing it. There's not going to be enough houses for me to go around. Uh, <laughs> but actually, there isn't really that many people who buy houses out there. Um, and, you know, if you put something good out there, it will go and there's a demand for it. You're right. And, you know, even 50 quid a month extra, which obviously, depending on how much the rent is, generally, I think in, in, in our sort of lands, 50 mm. quid a month extra is probably quite achievable with these rent with the standard you do it to that's you know times that by 12 uh that's you know in buy to let land anyway that's a nice chunk of money you know juicy <laughs> um, yeah i mean that changes your return on cash left in by you know it can change it by double digits you know yeah. just getting that a month and you know are we doing anything special in our own eyes not really i don't know <laughs> But no. <laughs> yeah, but we're just doing what we think is modern, clean and nice and kind of what I suppose we want to live in. So, yeah. you know, all this project managing, all of this, um, or at least managing the projects on a higher level, buying your own properties. What has what has property given you? You know, a nine to five gives you a stable income, misery, a commute, whatever. What has property given you, if anything? Um, it's made me far more busy, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's given me so much freedom, definitely. Um, and it's, I think it's just made me enjoy life more. I mean, every day is different. Um, I, I can, if I want a day off, I just take it. Uh, Hold on, still... how do you just take a day off? Like, that's the hardest thing ever. I find it so difficult. To do. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good balance you got there then. It, uh, I don't know, just stop answering my phone. If anything is really, really bad, then I will hear about it one way or another. But mm. most things can wait a day. Um, that's a good. That's a good philosophy. I like that. <laughs> Get that on a t-shirt. Most things. Can <laughs> they can though. I mean, it's unless uh, tenant-wise, um, my, my, they're all tenanted, uh, all managed by a, a letting agent. So Fine. I don't need to worry about that. Um, in terms of buying properties, that takes months anyway. So who cares yeah. if it takes an extra day? Um, <laughs> projects are managed by a project manager now and that's something that i i still continue to do, manage my own and i was like what am i doing it's this is i'm making my life so hard um i, I should really treat my own projects the same give myself the same treatment as i do my sourcing clients in a way and uh so a lot of that is managed now um i don't know it just it just frees up my time to focus solely on what i want like to progress the business and and move it forward <clears throat> that makes sense. And do you use any software applications, resources, virtual assistants to help you? Um, not really. I guess I guess the outsourcing side of it is, is sort of what I said in terms of, of letting agent and project managers. Um, I've got a cool app, though, that I use, um, which I, I don't know many people that are actually using it, but it's one that I use to track all my offers. Um, it's called Airtable. Have you heard of it? <laughs> I have, but not, yeah, I have heard of it, but not, maybe not in a property sense. Okay. So the way I use it, um, I, I, I keep it quite simple. So before when I used to track all my offers, I would, I'd have like a spreadsheet with like 50 different columns. <laughs> and I was like, this is silly. I never fill it out. I'm losing track of offers. I need something more simple. So I use it by, um, I, I, I simply have address the offer made, the status of the offer, um, and the asking price, the agent and the link for it. And I quite like this because it's got an app and a desktop version. And uh, you can, because you can put the agent in it, I can literally click on the agent and I can see everything that I've got with the agent, things that I want to view, that I've offered on, that I need to follow up on, things that are sold subject to contract and that are sold. So every time I call them, I can say, you know, what's happening with this one? What's happening with that one? And uh, it just, it just, I don't, I don't know, it, it made me keep on top of things a lot. And uh yeah, I, I think it's quite cool. I guess if people are interested in using that, I'm happy to share that. Maybe if I do a video on my Instagram or something, um, mm. people can head over there. And so it's called Airtable. Airtable, yeah. And it's free? Yeah, it's free. Yeah. I should get some commission for this. <laughs> you should be. That's, <laughs> it's uh, free, yeah. yeah. That sounds awesome. And I think that's um, that's going to help a lot of people. People say, oh, okay. Airtable, that one, they're going to find it. Nice, cool, good recommendation. Um, <laughs> what are the biggest three mistakes you've made in property? Uh, okay, um, builders for the first one. 
that that I should have been I was far too relaxed and should have been keeping up with that better um but I think I think that's a problem that most people will have throughout their journey is it is a side that you've got to manage well there are some fantastic builders out there um and I'm I actually I love my builders they do a brilliant job and once you've got people that you like you know keep hold of them because they will make your life easier and they'll save you money um but you know you just have to I guess you have to try and uh and, and try a few. I, uh, another one, I suppose, um, so, a lot of people ask me about sourcing because it seems like a super easy way to make money. Um, but to be honest, if you have rubbish deals, they won't sell. Um, and if you're, if you're struggling to find deals for yourself, then I think I would, I would suggest to team up with a sourcing agent in your area and source through them because you should just focus on finding deals to begin with. And when you get to the point where you're getting sort of one or two a month, then yeah, hundred percent get compliant. So sign up with, uh, I don't know, all, all the relevant bodies and stuff. But until then there's no point because it costs like 1,500 pounds to register as a sourcing agent. And if you don't source a deal, then what's the point? So that's probably, I guess, a mistake that I, I didn't really source a deal for like six months. So I probably could have done that to begin with. Um, and then I don't know, third one, maybe, maybe I should have got a coach a bit sooner, like a personal coach when I was in Middlesbrough. Cause I think there was some lonely times up there. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, those times I was questioning my sanity. I was like, what the hell are you doing up here? Living in some like HMO room. Um, I left a really like quite nice life in London. I felt so poor, <laughs> but maybe, maybe someone to catch up with once a month or not even a coach, maybe just like an accountability partner or something like that, just to bounce ideas off and, and you know give yourself goals each month it would uh it might help <laughs> and um when you moved up there were you coming like back to london every weekend um yeah yeah pretty much because uh, holly was still doing a phd in london so yeah i'd come back to see her i mean she didn't want to come to middlesbrough why would she do that so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah so it was either um it was either i come back or i didn't see her so yeah <laughs> and how long does it take to like for, for a journey oh it's a five-hour drive so 10-hour drives every weekend um living in a hmo room which i'm going to assume it wasn't instagram worthy um it was quite nice actually well, fair, fair enough, <laughs> but, it, but it was nice however the first the first week it was like crazy snowy there and um all the heating wasn't working and i Ooh. got i got like the flu and i was ill for like a week so my first my first glamorous week of being a full-time property investor was just in bed being ill in, in the middle bar. i was like what am i doing up here <laughs> but yeah it was it was decent it was nice <laughs> mm, okay and but you did all of that you had this long ass drive to commit and to dedicate to your goals, your visions, your whys, to hustle. That is something that I think I, w I want people to hear, right? Because when I first met you and you told me this, you just laughed about it and said, hi, oh, yeah, just, I just do it. And I was like, you're crazy. Like, <laughs> what, what are you laughing about? But <laughs> um, I'd lost my mind at that point, I think. <laughs> I think you had, I was like, this dude. But, you know, not everyone has to go to that level. Of course not. But... No. You know, sourcing as many houses as you have, building that portfolio, getting investors, it comes with some level of sacrifice. And everyone's level is different. Yours was that one. And so, yeah, I just want people to, to really hear that, you know, th there is some sacrifice of some sort. Do you regret quitting, you know, working in the Shard for this life now? Or are you happy? Oh, no, I'm definitely not. It, it's got me to where I was. And it was obviously a lot of hard work, but... Um, I feel like I'm only at the beginning, really. I've got, you know, lots of things I want to do uh, in property. And mm. uh, yeah, this is just, but I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't commit, I don't mm -hmm. think. Um, yeah. But, you know, people make it work. Maybe I was late. Maybe I was lazy for doing that, really. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because I quit my job. I don't know. <laughs> so that leads me nicely to my next question, which is, you know, what are you doing next? We're in October 2020. We're in some type of lockdown, Nando's, chili sauce level one. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, you know, just so people know when we're recording this, what, you know, what are your goals for the next however long or however short? Um, so, obviously, keep buying buy to lets because mm -hmm. I love them. They are, <laughs> they are amazing. Um, I've got a couple of things that I've, that I've, 
I'm sort of working on right now. Um, I guess, so one of them is I've started doing a bit of coaching with people, which I, I actually, I didn't want to do for quite a long time. And I kept saying no when, whenever people would maybe message me on Instagram about it. But, um, I was just endlessly answering questions and stuff like that. And, and I thought this is actually, I love talking about property. I love helping people in property. Why do I keep saying no to people? Um, so I started helping people and I absolutely love it. It's so much fun. Uh, and I get so much pleasure out of seeing them all do well. So that's something I'd like to do a bit more of. Uh, but for me personally, investing wise, um, I want to start doing stuff in London now. So the plan is to do sandwich lease options. I don't know if that's a term that um, um, I'm hungry. So tell yeah. me about these sandwich lease options. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially what it is, is I will go and speak to landlords um, or I go speak to landlords and put a lease option in place with them. So they could be a negative equity or something like that. Um, or just, you know, house needs a bit of work, not really able to rent it out. I'll agree to buy it off them. So I'm looking around West London at the moment, which is where I live. Um, I guess rough, rough purchase prices are going to be about 600,000 for flats. Um, and I'll agree a price with them and I'll offer them guaranteed rent for five to seven years or so, however long they want. It's all very creative and, you know, <laughs> there's not really a, an exact deal that goes the same, but, but I try and aim for a rent around 1600 pounds agreed with them because they'll have no fees with agents or maintenance issues and stuff like that. Once I agree that, I then go and find a tenant buyer um, and I will uh, uh, basically let them rent the house with the option to buy it um, or the intention to buy it in in a sort of similar period, five to seven years or something like that. So maybe with the landlord, I'll agree 600 and with them, you know, you'd hope in five years time it will have gone up sort of 50 grand or something like that. So I'll agree 650 with the tenant. Um, I'll rent it out for market rent at say 2000 um, so there's a bit of cash flow in the middle and then hopefully something at the end. But the reason I love this is because it's, it's totally win-win. Um, for the landlord, they've got a tenant they can't rent, uh, sorry, a property they can't rent out. It's, you know, it needs work. They don't really want to spend any money on it. Um, so they get guaranteed rent for five years and, and they get the price that they want to, especially if it's negative, negative equity, they get the price they want in so many years time. Um, and then for the tenant, you know, there's loads of people in London with cracking jobs, but no deposit, um, who are desperate to, to own their own house. Um, so I think it's, it's so good for them as well. Uh, and it's something that I want to do personally, because I, for one of these, I want to keep for myself and, uh, and actually just have it as my own, as my own home as a lease option. So, and also the other reason I love this is it's also fits in my philosophy of being really passive because once you rent it out, there's no manager involved. There's no um there's nothing really you know that person owns the house and they just pay you rent and if they don't pay you the rent i guess they forgo their contract and uh which they, they're not going to do so yeah again passive so yeah i love it <laughs> mm. very very interesting um if you could have dinner with any three people dead or alive who would it be and why uh i was dumbledore no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think David Attenborough will be top of that list. I, I love David Attenborough so much. Um, I've, yeah, for all, all of my life, as far as I can remember, I've watched like his documentaries and stuff like that. So that would be amazing. Um, three people, Stephen Gerrard. <laughs> Stephen Gerrard. Stephen Gerrard. Eh, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen Gerrard, definitely. Um, and whew, tricky one. Maybe. Who have I listened to recently? I've been listening to Elon Musk recently. He's pretty cool. Mm, yeah, he'd be um, he'd be fun. Yeah, I think that'd be pretty interesting dinner, the three of us. <laughs> I think yeah, if Elon Musk was there, he'd be there like smoking, and then like Dumbledore would just come in as well. Like why not? Bring, bring them all there. <laughs> um, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the TED Talks podcast. Uh, real, real gems in here. Uh, if people want to get hold of you, if they want to see what you're up to, um, how should they do that? Uh, come connect with me on Instagram for sure. It's uh, Adam Garland Property. Um, give me a message. Let me know what you're up to. Uh, I'm add me on Facebook as well if you want Adam Garland. Um, I am on LinkedIn, but I, I'm not really very good at keeping up with all three. So if you really want to talk to me, you're probably best at Instagram is probably the best way to find me. 
If you get confused, it's the guy with the really nice hair. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you forget. Amazing, Adam. Thank you so much. No problem at all. Thank you, Tej. It's been a lot of fun. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.